Calvary. Thank God that there's a way that we can be saved and that He can lift, take that burden from us. So exciting. Go ahead and take your Bibles this evening and go to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Tonight is going to be the last of our little small series we've been doing on our behavior in the house of God. I have one more thing we want to look at. I just want to say that I, I tell you, I, I am thankful, so thankful for what God is doing in this church. But one of the things that I have really been amazed by is uh, already, and I, and I hope for this, you know, kind of part of the name Liberty Baptist Church, but really the liberty that God has already given, given me and uh, to be able to preach the Word and folks receive it in the right spirit and uh, you know the last couple of Sunday mornings, you know we've uh, we you know we've dealt with some of the things that are you know less popular subjects. But I tell you, the spirit that has been here uh, and the, the folks have had during those messages has really uh, it's got me excited. And I tell you, um, when you have a group of people that are hungry for preaching and that are willing to you know to keep coming back and listening to it, and not getting offended over everything. Uh, that's that's a very good sign right there, and it sometimes can take a long time before a pastor can have that kind of liberty in the church. Some pastors today they get up behind their pulpits. I mean, they are scared to death. You know, they they know they need to preach the word of God, but they're always scared about what's going to happen. Is everybody going to get mad at me? They're going to fire me this week. And uh, boy, you folks haven't done that to me yet, and I I'm thankful for that, and I, I'm glad that. Uh, that uh, you've had that attitude, and I really do, I really do appreciate that, and I I think uh, it's, it's important that you have that in a church. And you know, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and uh, we we shouldn't have to be afraid or uh, to preach the word and you know kind of sugarcoat things to make few people feel better. And I, I'm glad that it has not been that way. I'm very thankful. But First Timothy chapter three verse fifteen. Says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. We need to know what God wants us to do in the house of God. When we are here, it is so important. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about these things. Of course, the first week we talked about how if we're going to behave ourselves properly in the house of God, well, you have to be here. And you know, I've, we've joked around before about our kids. You know, when our kids sometimes are the most well-behaved is when they're in bed sleeping. And uh, you know, the truth is that doesn't really count. You know, we're supposed to. You know, uh, there's been some kids. You know, when I taught in school, that the days that I always, you know, that they never gave me trouble were the days that they were absent. But you know, that's not really what you want. You want them to be there. And uh, if we're going to do what we're supposed to, we need to be there in the house of God. Uh, we need to be in one accord. As it said in Acts chapter two, where we've been going, uh, we've been going through that and talking about those things. They were all in one accord, in one place. They had there's certain some things we need to have them in common. There's some things we need to agree on, and uh, we, we talked about that. We talked about also coming expecting God to do something. You know, we shouldn't just be coming to church just to put in our time, just to. Do it because we're supposed to, or to ease our conscience. We ought to be expecting to get something from God. I mean, every time you come to church, you ought, you ought to be, it ought to be your prayer. You know, Lord, give me something that could be a help to me. And if you're praying for it, 
hopefully you're expecting God to answer it too. A lot of times people come to the house of God and they're not expecting anything. They're not expecting a blessing. And if you're not expecting anything, well, you're probably not going to get anything. And uh, we need to expect something. Tonight, what we're going to talk about, when we come to the church, I think it's one thing that's very important. When we, the church services, that this is not, it's not just a place where we come and get together and, you know, feel good. This is a spiritual battlefield. There's a spiritual war every week that takes place in the lives of, in, the, in the hearts of people. Every week, there's a spiritual battle when the, when the gospel is being preached. There's a spiritual battle taking place during the music, during the specials. I mean, there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And I believe it's very important when we come to the house of God every week, we need to make sure that we come with the whole armor of God. That we come prepared for the spiritual battle. I mean, what would you think about a soldier that he goes out in the battlefield and not only is he not wearing his uniform, not wearing his camos, but he doesn't have any weapons. I mean, he's going out there and he says he's going out for battle and he's not wearing any protection. He doesn't have the bulletproof vest on. He doesn't have any of those things. You're going to look at him and say, "Are you, you realize you are heading for a battle. Don't you think you ought to have some preparation? Don't you think you ought to have some uh, protection? And you think this guy is nuts. And a lot of times people come to church and completely unprepared. They're not suited up spiritually. I mean, they might be all dressed up on the outside, but they're not wearing the armor of God. And it's very important that we need to be prepared for battle. And I believe it's important when we come to church getting ready, we're getting ready for a spiritual battle. I think it's important that we take it a step further and we come to church already having won some battles over the flesh. And then we can enjoy the blessings. And there's a real battle that's going on between the spirit and the flesh. It's an actual war that's taking place inside of us. And we need to use some of the same tactics in this war that we would use in an earthly war. So what are some of these things? What are some of the things that people use in real wars that we can use in the spiritual war that's taking place in our own life and that's taking place in our church? Well, one of the things that people use in wartime is they will cut off the resources of the enemy. I mean, a great thing, you know, back in the old days, they would have, uh, you know, if they would go, maybe they'd surround a city. And one of the things that they would make sure they do is kind of if they could cut off their resources somehow. Maybe people needed to, maybe they needed water. If they could do something to stop the water from going in there, well, it was only a matter of time before they died of thirst. They can only go so long without the water. They would cut off the resources, the things that would help the enemy be strong. I, when I when I got to go over to Israel, we got to visit a place you may have heard of called Masada, and that. Uh, that city, I mean, it was built super high on this very large hill. Very, very difficult to get to. But at the same time, when they got surrounded, they really didn't have any place to go. And the Romans, they had them surrounded and they pretty much just waited for them to run out of the resources and things they needed to survive. And they eventually did. And what ended up happening, those Jews that were there, they didn't want to be taken over and taken captive. And they all ended up just killing themselves is what happened. But they cut off their resources. And something that we need to do in this spiritual battle, this war that we're taking place, it's a battle over the flesh. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to cut off the resources of the flesh. Our flesh is sinful. 
our flesh, it wars against the Spirit. If you read Romans 8, it talks a lot about it, a lot of great stuff in that passage. We don't have time to go through all of it. But our flesh is constantly at battle with our spirit. If you're saved today, you've got that Spirit of God and you've got that spiritual side that wants to do right. You know, Jesus told His disciples He wanted them to watch and pray just for an hour and they kept falling asleep. They didn't want to fall asleep. Their spirit, it wanted to pray that whole time. And He said the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think everybody in here, we all intend to do good. We all want to do good, but we don't always do it because we've got this weak flesh that we're always battling against. And one of the things that we can do to help us get control over this flesh, and this is something that's not necessarily a fun thing to do, but it's something the Bible talks about often, and I think it's a very good practice to do, and that is fasting. Fasting. That I know that's not fun. Now, there's a lot of ways you can fast. If you go through the Bible, there's all kinds of different fasts. Most of the time, it involves not eating. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good it's a good thing. Every once in a while, maybe take a day, a whole day, and don't eat. And you know, it's like, man, why do that? You know, I always wondered. You know, what's really the point of fasting? I always thought. You know, I always heard one of the things about fasting is you know you go a day without eating. You know, maybe because you're wanting to pray for something. Every time your stomach growls, you're going to be reminded, hey, I need to pray for this. And it's it's a constant reminder. And it keeps you praying. It keeps you focused on something. Maybe you're wanting the, you're wanting God to do something in your life. And you know, the Bible says we ought to pray without ceasing. And when you go a day without eating, you're going to constantly be reminded to pray. And but at the same time, I remember when I first started fasting, one of the things that I learned is it one of the things that taught me was just how weak my flesh was. I remember the first time I ever tried going a day without eating. I, I, I was I was I was just a young teenager at the time. And I thought I'm going a whole day without eating. I'm going to fast for a whole day. And I remember it was a Wednesday, and I remember I was, well, I was I started feeling hungry, and I'm just like, man, I I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I made it all the way until the evening. We had Wednesday night service, and after church got over. I couldn't help it anymore. I was starving. And I remember I went and I there there was some crackers in the church and I ate like four crackers. <laughs> it made me feel so good, but then at the same time I was like, I threw away all that work for four crackers. You know what I learned? I, I was like, man, I'm weak. My flesh we couldn't even go one day. You know, there's some cultures and some countries people go days without eating all the time. And I can't go one day without eating. What's wrong with me? I remember when I was older. I remember I was an adult and I felt like the Lord was wanting me to fast. And I didn't really know why. The main reason I fasted, I was wanting the Lord to help me understand fasting. And I remember that whole day it was just killing me, not eating. And the thing is, I wasn't even that hungry. But I thought, I'm just so used to eating. I'm so used to satisfying this flesh of mine that my stomach's not even growling and I'm going crazy trying not to eat. And it just it showed me how blessed that we are. I mean, we're constantly surrounded by food. I'm driving down the, I'm driving down the road and I'm noticing all these you know, signs for all the fast food restaurants for some sale they have going and it was this for something that I love to eat. And it was just driving me crazy. And I'm thinking, I'm not even that hungry. But I was so used to giving in to the flesh that it was killing me to go one day without eating. 
And you know, I believe it's good to do things like that because we've got to get control over this flesh. Said it's, I'm not. I'm not saying we go on a hunger strike so we can get what God. You know, God will answer our prayer. It's we've just got to learn to control this flesh. We've got to get under control. So fasting, maybe even for a long period of time, maybe go two or three days without eating. Two is the longest I've ever went. And it's good. It helps us get control over this flesh. Also, maybe not just fasting from food, but abstaining from worldly pleasures. Alright, maybe, you know, things that aren't even necessarily bad. Maybe sometimes see if you can go a whole day without television. Whoa. <laughs> now we're getting extreme, Pastor Tom. I mean, a whole day without TV? You know, I remember that, I remember a few years ago, I thought, you know, I think we watch way too much TV. And I told my wife, I was like, you know what? Let's see if we can go a month without watching TV, the whole family a month. Let's just see if we can do it. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, the main reason, I, I just wanted to see if I was controlled by television. Because I thought, most, most of the world today, I mean, if they went a month without television, they'd, they'd go nuts, absolutely nuts. And I thought, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be dependent on television. Let's see if we can go a whole month. And we did it. <laughs> it wasn't easy. And I thought, man, this is pathetic. This is pathetic, but you know what? We found out all kinds of other things to do. We were, you know, going to the park more and doing different things with the kids, and we found other stuff to do that was better and a lot, a lot more healthy. But I just, I wanted to see if we could do it. I just want, I wanted to see. Abstain from worldly pleasure. You know, go a day or two without the internet. Go a day or two from just things that are that are about the flesh. Why? Just to learn to win some battles over this flesh because this flesh is constantly going to be trying to get you to go against the things of God. Your flesh is going to tell you to you know, watch television instead of reading your Bible. Your flesh is going to tell you to go to sleep earlier instead of praying before you go to bed. Your flesh is going to tell you to stay home instead of going to church. Your flesh is constantly going to be telling you to do things that are against what the Spirit wants you to do. And we've got to learn to be able to say, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And it's, it's good practice. It's good practice to do that. Uh, an example of somebody who went a long period of time without the things of the flesh. And that, I think this is an amazing story. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. I, I want to show you something here. And I'm going to, I'm going to be doing... I, I hope you all don't mind me speculating a little bit. And I, I might be reading into this a little too much, but I, I hope you will, you'll humor me here. But in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, it says, And he was there with the Lord, talking about Moses, forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses went forty days and forty nights without food or water. Now, I'm not recommending anybody try that. Now the truth is, you go 40 days without water, you're going to die. There is obviously some divine intervention here. Moses was with God. I'm, I don't think that it is humanly possible for any of us to do that. And I'm not going to try it. I don't, I, don't recommend, I don't recommend trying it. But I want you to notice, so what happened? Was Moses practically dead? You know, Did he shrivel up and... Uh, a skeleton-like figure. What happened? Well, in verse 29, it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, 
when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Something really strange happened to Moses after 40 days of being not given anything to his flesh. After 40 days of denying the flesh and being with God, it literally made his face shine. And it says that when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Could you imagine if somebody comes walking up and their face is shining? And the people, they looked at that and it scared them. They didn't even want to look at it. It says in verse 31, And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them, and afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And though Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. They couldn't, they couldn't handle looking at him. And I think there's a reason for that. He had to wear a veil over his face. You think, why, can't, why couldn't they handle looking at a glow. What was, what was so difficult about that? Verse 34, But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is what I believe happened right here. Moses, 40 days... Nothing of the flesh. Okay? Absolutely nothing. He, he should be dead. Alright? 40 days, no food or water. But 40 days, though, he's been with God. So, you know, God, he's not going to die on God's watch doing what God wants him to do. And Moses, after being in the presence of God that long, after, after, I mean, being, getting that close to God, probably closer than any man ever has, it literally affected his face to where it glowed. And I believe what what it was is literally Moses the God the, the light and the glory of God was reflected on the face of Moses. The holiness of God reflected on the face of Moses and people could not even handle looking at him. They were getting a glimpse I mean, of just a reflection of the glory of God and in their sinful condition they couldn't handle looking at that. And you know, I believe I don't believe we can get to the point where our faces are going to glow. But let me tell you something. You get close to God and you start denying the things of this flesh and let me tell you, the world can't stand that. They do not like it when we take stands in different areas of holiness. They don't like when we do that. They don't like to see that. It bothers them. It it affects them. You know why? Because they're getting a glimpse, I believe, in a small way, not to this extreme of God, and they don't even want to look at it. They don't want to be reminded of God. And the Bible says that we are a light to the world. And that light, it shines. People don't like it. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In our world today, it is so focused on the flesh that people can't stand seeing anything that reminds them of God. And one of the reasons I believe we're not being the light like we should today is we're hiding under a bushel. We're constantly feeding the sinful flesh. We're denying the spiritual things. And therefore, we're not able to shine like we're supposed to. We're not being the kind of example that we should be. But Moses, 40 days. Jesus also, He did the same thing in Luke chapter 4, verse 1-4. through Jesus went 40 days and didn't eat anything. 
And then you may remember that Satan came and he tempted him and he tried to get him to turn that stone into bread and Jesus didn't do it. He, he, Jesus, even after 40 days and he was hungry, the Bible says, he still did not give in to the flesh. He had to have been weak at that time. His flesh, I mean, it had to have been hurting. He was probably almost to the point of death. I believe he was almost to the point of death. After Satan finally left, the Bible says that the angels came and ministered to him. And listen, none of this means that it's a sin to eat. But what it shows us is that we are creatures of the flesh living to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And you know what? There's a whole lot more to life than the things of the flesh. Jesus said when Satan tempted him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. We're not just here for the things of the flesh. We are supposed to be walking in the Spirit and focusing on the spiritual things. I'm not saying go 40 days without eating. But I'm saying we've got to get control over this flesh. Sometimes it may be necessary to deny the pleasures of the flesh. Even things that are not sinful. 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, 5, defraud ye not one another except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come again that Satan tempt you for incontinency. It's talking about a husband and wife. That there may be a time where they need it for a prayer and fasting where they do not come together physically, which is not a sin, but God's trying to tell them there may be, there's times when we just need to deny the pleasures of the flesh. And we need to focus on the spiritual things. And he said in that instance, just do it for a time with consent as long as both agree. You don't want to end up getting yourself in trouble. But we need, we need to learn to do that. We need to cut off the resources of the flesh. But also, if we're going to do that, at the same time, we need to build up the resources of the Spirit. We need to be feeding the spiritual. You know, it's not enough to just go a day without eating or go two days without eating. During that time... I think you ought to be doing a little more praying than you normally would do. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to do the things that are spiritual. Build up the resources of the Spirit. Exercise the Spirit. You know, read the Bible. Memorize it. Memorize Scripture. Use Scripture. Every time you know you get tempted and you're you know you're one to eat. You're you're not even hungry. You're, we're just spoiled and we're just used to eating. You know, quote that verse: "Man should not live by bread alone." Do things like that. Exercise yourself spiritually. Learn, I mean, try to, try to do things better. Try to, you know, add to your prayer life. You know, I'm going to pray five minutes a day. And then maybe after that, you go ten, ten minutes a day. And then fifteen. I wouldn't recommend right off the bat trying to pray four hours a day. I know some people that do that. I wouldn't recommend starting out that way. Just like I wouldn't recommend if you're trying to get in shape, and you know, I wouldn't recommend that you go run a marathon first. I would say start doing a mile and then add to it. And that's what we're supposed to do spiritually. We try to add, we try to add things. You know, listening, you know, to godly music. Those things can help you spiritually. They can get you in the right frame of mind. Get you thinking about things that are right. A good example of the Bible in the Bible. Of a man who was very spiritual, and this is—I think this is kind of neat. His name was Stephen. You may have heard him, Stephen, the very first martyr. Acts chapter six, verse five says, "And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost." And he names a bunch of others uh, there. And then also in verse eight says, "And Stephen, full of faith and power." did great wonders and miracles among the people. And verse 15 says, And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. 
There was something about Stephen. Every time he mentions him, he was full of power. He was full of the Holy Ghost. There was something about him that was different. When people looked at him, it was like he had the face of an angel. I don't know what that means exactly, but I almost wondered if there was a little bit of a glow to him. Stephen too. I mean, the they they hated him when he preached. I mean, it made the people, those Pharisees, they got angry. The Bible says that they gnashed on him with their teeth and they began to stone him. And then in Acts 7.55, it says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon Him with one accord and cast Him out of the city and stoned Him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul who ended up becoming... The Apostle Paul, by the way. And it says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the Bible says that he fell asleep. Now, how do you, how do you fall asleep like that? You know, if somebody's throwing rocks at me, big rocks, I'm getting stoned. I don't picture myself praying, I don't picture myself falling asleep. And he died there. But Stephen, I believe that guy was so full of the Holy Ghost. He had conquered that flesh to the point that even when he is dying a horrible, violent death, it doesn't seem to really bother him. In fact, when he went, he looked up into heaven and he was literally able to see into that spiritual world and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And... He said, Lord, receive my spirit. And he did. And let me tell you something. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to die that way. But let me tell you something. Stephen, when he went out, boy, he went out in a way that that would have been something. What a way to go. To see Jesus standing there. To see Him ahead of time. To get to see Him with these physical eyes. That had to have been an exciting event. But Stephen, he, it was like that because he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. He, I mean, he was a very spiritual person. He practiced these things. He did many miracles. But so, first of all, we need. So, if we're gonna have that whole armor of God be prepared spiritually, we need to cut off the resources of the flesh. We need to build up the resources of the spirit, and then this is important. We need to just finally choose once and for all which side we're on. You know, there's too many people today in churches all over this country that they haven't decided what side they're on. They they want to do spiritual things. They want to do right. They want to go to heaven. They want to obey God and all those things. But boy, they love their flesh. And they're not about to give up any of the things of the flesh. And you know, we if listen, if you're gonna win in a battle, you've got to pick which side you're on. Joshua twenty four fifteen. I mean, they're getting ready. I mean, Joshua now is the leader in Israel, and I love what he tells people. He said, "Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell." He said, "He said you need to make your choice." You want to choose God? Choose Him. You want to choose those other gods? Choose them. But I like what Joshua said. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
He told them, I've already decided who we're going to serve. We're serving the Lord. You all can do what you want to do. You can serve who you want to serve. But I'm here today to tell you, today is the day where you need to serve the Lord. And the people, they all said, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua told them, you know, you don't know, you're not going to serve the Lord. It's almost like he's trying to talk them out of it. But they kept telling him, no, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. And you know what? Thank God they did for many years. For the rest of the life of Joshua, Israel served the Lord. All of the elders that served with Joshua and that outlived Joshua, they served God through that whole time. There were several years where Israel served the Lord. They decided. They were decisive. They picked their side and God blessed them in a great way. And then, sadly though, you get into the book of Judges and all those Joshua was gone, all the elders outlived Joshua was gone, and then they decided to start serving the mother gods and it got ugly real fast. But we've got to, you've got to choose which side you're on. Am I going to am I going to live according to the pleasures of the flesh or am I going to live according to the things of the spirit? You do have a choice. Many people today, you know, everybody wants to be a victim anymore. Everybody wants to have a reason why they can't do what they're supposed to. I want to do right, but I've got this, you know, weird circumstance. Let me tell you, there's people have some things that can make it difficult. But I'm here today. God's not going to ask you to do something you're not capable of doing. And God's not going to ask you to do something where He's not going to be there with you and He's not going to give you the power to overcome those things. And you've just got to, you've got to decide and determine that I am going to do the right thing. I'm going to be a conqueror. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Guess what? You know, to be a conqueror, you have, that means you have to conquer something. To be a conqueror, that means you have an enemy. That means you have something to overcome. That means there's an obstacle. There's something standing in your way. There's somebody that's trying to hinder you. We all have that. We all have our battles and things that we have to face. But the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Him. Through Jesus Christ, you can conquer your flesh. I know I know your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. I know our enemies are strong. I know they're great. I know the devil. Boy, he's powerful and he's he's sneaky and he's tricky. But the Bible says that we can conquer him. We can overcome through Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We've just got it. We've just got to make up our mind though of who we're going to serve. Well, everything we need is there through Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, He uh, He's in your heart. He's in your life. He's given us His Word. You can get victory. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You know, you wouldn't call somebody a conqueror if you found out they went. You know, maybe maybe there's this big tough soldier, and you find out that the only battle he's ever won is he beat up some little kid. Well, he's not a conqueror. It was a little kid. That's not a battle. That's not difficult. But you find out maybe this one guy all by himself, you know, went and defeated the whole group. You say that guy. That guy's a conqueror. He overcame something. He should have. He shouldn't have been able to win that battle, but he did. And the things that we face, as 
far as the world is concerned, we shouldn't be able to overcome those things. We shouldn't be able to overcome this flesh. We shouldn't be able to do right in this wicked world that we live in. But we have somebody living inside us that can give us the victory and that can get us through those things. And we have no excuse. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If you have Christ inside you, you... You have no excuse. It's just many people, they've not quite made up their mind yet on who they're going to serve. They still want to serve this flesh. You're not going to, you're not going to have victory, but the thing is, you're not going to have victory on Sunday if you're feeding the flesh during the rest of the week. We're talking about in the house of God. I know most of these things we're talking about, it's stuff that happens outside the church. But if we're going to have victory inside the church, if you're going to have victory on Sunday, you've got to be winning some battles through the rest of the week. You know, religion isn't, or being a Christian isn't something that we just do one day a week. It's not something that we just put on when we're in the house of God. We ought to, we ought to act like Christians all week. And you're not going to have victory on Sunday if you're feeding the flesh during the rest of the week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is talking here. He said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. I challenge you, go get a job at Walmart and get a job at Kmart at the same time, and you start letting things conflict. You start saying, you know, you start calling off, you, you call Kmart up and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make that. I'm supposed to work at Walmart today. You see how long they let you keep your job. Like, hey, especially when it's a, it's a job where they're kind of competitors. It's not going to go over real well. That, there, it's, it, you're, you're gonna, what's going to happen is you're not going to do very good at either job. And too many people today, they're trying to serve God and man. And I remember talking to a girl one time in the detention home, and I was I was telling her about salvation now. And one of, and I one of the things that a lot of times people do whenever you start telling them about salvation is they'll start asking like, "Well, does that mean I'm going to have to quit doing this? Does that mean I'm going to have to quit doing that?" And listen, you know, we don't get saved by our works. We don't get saved by giving up things. We don't get saved by doing good things. But what what happens whenever the Holy Spirit starts speaking to people, He starts convicting them of sin. And let me tell you, if you're not willing to give up any of those sins, I don't believe that you truly are getting saved. There's going to be repentance. You're going to, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect after you get saved, but there's going to be a desire to be do the best you can. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. You're going to be willing to give up whatever you have to give up. And I remember she's asking me, you know, she's saying, you know, saying all these things, and I, I kept telling her, I said, I said, no, Christians shouldn't do that. And when you give your heart to Christ, I mean, God, God wants you to start. There's certain things He wants you to do. There's certain things He doesn't want you to do. And she's just like, you know. You know, and I told her, you got to make a choice. You need to either you know choose God, or you need to either choose the flesh. She's like, well, I I don't want to choose. You know, I I said, like, well, you're choosing one. You got you got to choose one another. There's there's no there's no middle ground. She's just like, I just I don't want to pick anything. I just want to be in the middle. <laughs> I thought so. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to pick the middle, you're picking the flesh. You're rejecting salvation. You can't do that. She's like, and 
you would be blown away at what these kids didn't want to give up. I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, stuff that they were involved in as young teenagers, it would, it would, it would blow your mind. It blew my mind. But sin, it's powerful. And you can't just do a no decision. Everybody's making a choice. And unfortunately, even, even saved people, all week long they're trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh, which cannot happen. You cannot fulfill the desires of the flesh. Nobody can. It's never been done. Our flesh cannot be satisfied. I mean, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a big fat pig, man. You just can't give it enough. It's just going to keep wanting more. It'll never be satisfied. And we can try to do all we can for this flesh. You, uh, you will never be satisfied. And we've got to learn to get victory over it. But we've got to, if, and if we're going to have victory in God's house on Sunday, we've got to be having victory during the week. You've got to take the battle serious. It's a real battle. It's, it's not fake. It's not pretend. It's a real battle. There are folks in this area there that they need God. They need to be saved. And it's a, there's a spiritual war taking place. And they don't want to do anything. So we need to fight. We need to fight for them sometimes. We need to pray for them. We need to witness to them. I mean, we need to ask God to do something. We need to, we need to see spiritual victories. We've got to see these things. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock with a capital R that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You know, and the funny things about this, a lot of the things these people lusted after was meat. You may remember the story where they were in the wilderness and God was feeding them with manna. God was taking care of them. That manna... That was what they needed. It probably wasn't the best food in the world. It wasn't a gourmet meal. But it kept them alive. It was what they needed. And you may remember, they got sick of that manna. They say our souls loathe this manna. They hated it. They said, we want meat. And the Lord sent all these uh, these birds, I forgot what kind they were, and uh, sparrows, I think. And all of them, they came and they were able to eat meat. And boy, they started devouring that eat meat like a bunch of gluttonous pigs and it just made God mad. And while the flesh was still in their teeth, God smote them and He made them sick and many of them died. And God, I mean, they just, they were so stuck in the flesh that, you know, they, they couldn't even be satisfied that God was providing for them in a wilderness. They're like, we want meat. And we're like that sometimes. The Lord gives us what we need, but we're always begging for more. And not more for more spiritually, but for more of the things of the flesh. I mean, the Bible says that you know, having food and raiment therewith, be content. If you've got enough to eat, if you've got clothes on your back, if you've got a, if you've got a place to live and shelter, we ought to be content with that. But you'd be amazed how many people are miserable because that's all they have. We want more. You know why? It's our greedy flesh. 
It's our greedy flesh. And God said that these things that that happened, they were an example for us. That God put them in the Bible so we would learn not to lust after evil things as they also lusted. Not we we don't want to do that. We and it's hard not to lust the, after the things of the flesh these days. I mean, good night. We're all bombarded every day with commercials for everything, and they all do all they can to appeal to our flesh because they they want your money, and they know they know how to get you lusting after that stuff. They do studies on these things. I mean, they literally. Uh, I've read some of the studies that they've done. I mean, they they hook people up to things and they watch how your body responds to different things that you see and they they uh, use that when they make commercials and things and advertisements they want you lusting after their product and we're bombarded with that stuff in this country and it is hard not to just lust after things that we don't need. You'd be amazed how many people today, I mean they feel like an absolute victim like God has just Shortchange them like they are the most poor person in the world if they don't have a cell phone. I mean, if you don't have a cell phone, I mean, you're a victim, boy. I mean, God hasn't been good to you at all. That's the way people feel. But hey, people lived for 6,000 years without those things and they were just fine. But you know, it's because of advertisement and things. And you know, many Christians today, they're living a double life. Being, being spiritual, they think, is something that's just supposed to happen in church. But if we're going to have victory here, being spiritual needs to be a part of our everyday lives. I'm not saying that you got to go walking around and you know, you know, acting all holy and praying all the time. I'm not saying I'm not saying that. But being spiritual, we need to be having spiritual battles in our lives. Prayer ought to be something that we do every day. I mean, living godly living, it should be a part of our everyday life. And when you get victories during the week, then you'll be ready for that spiritual battle that's going to take place on Sunday. Because let me tell you, it's going to get fierce here sometimes. We're going to have people that are going to come through here that may be only days away from going to hell. And the Holy Spirit's going to be is going to be speaking to them and trying to get through to them, and we've got to, and we we're a part of that battle. We need to be praying for those folks. We need we need to be used to God answering prayers. We need to have seen God do some things, and we've got to focus on that spirit. It's so it's so important. Don't let's not just be Sunday Christians. Let's be let's let's act like Christians every day. All of us ought to be. Not everybody can be a full-time Christian worker where that's their job or that's their ministry, but I believe everybody ought to be full-time Christians. That that's what we are all the time. Is we act we act like Christians. That we win battles over this flesh. And if we do that, that's what's going to change what happens on Sunday. Let me tell you, the preaching is important, the singing is important, but I believe the way that we're going to have real victory here, it's going to not, it's going to depend on what's happening during the week. And we need to take it serious. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see God do some great things. I want to see folks get saved. I want to see people win spiritual battles. I want to see people, the things, the sins and things in our life that are keeping them down and are keeping them miserable, I want to see people be able to get victory over those things and say, you know what, I used to struggle in this area and I used to get myself in trouble with these things all the time, but the Lord gave me victory. The Lord helped me win that spiritual battle. 
It's real, folks. And we need to take it serious and ask God to give us the victory. So with that, we'd all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.